and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about spring roundup applications. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so we're going to talk about Roundup and how to make it work better this spring. And probably the biggest thing that I'm going to tell you is the temperature when you spray, before you spray, and after you spray is a really big deal. Roundup, the way it works, it gets absorbed by leaves. It then moves through the plant to kill the growing point in the case of an annual grass or the growing points in the case in the case of broadleaves or most perennial weeds. So when it when all this is happening, just think about it for, for a second. If your plant is not growing very well, let's say it's really cold out, you're drought stressed, whatever, the plant may not bring in as much of that herbicide through the leaves as it normally would. But more, probably more than that, you're going to just see it not move very well in the plant. Because, I mean, just when we're talking about cold temperatures, the plant's growing really, really slowly, which means that everything moving inside the plant is also going to move really, really slowly. Well, the longer it takes for that Roundup, or quite frankly, any herbicide, to get to the growing point or points, then the more chance there is for some to be lost, degraded, broken down, and then ultimately you don't have a lethal dose. So, just as a quick example of this, and you can see it with a lot of herbicides that you may spray on water hemp, palmer pigweed, lamb's quarters, some weeds like that, where they have a lot of growing points where you go, oh, I sprayed it, and the top of the plant died, the middle of the plant died, but on the bottom, there are some some leaves now coming out and, and stems and everything, and that plant's regrowing. Well, you just never killed it in the first place. What happened is the herbicide went to the most active growing point first, and then it continued working its way down to each growing point that there was. Well, by the time it got to the end, it just ran out of gas. You didn't have the lethal dose anymore, so the plant didn't die. And just as bad is the fact that now you may have a plant that's somewhat tolerant to that particular herbicide. The more that that happens in the more generations after that that plant and its seed and the next plant and its seed, um, the, the tolerance just continues to build, making it even more difficult to get that herbicide to work. So that is by far and away number one that we're thinking about. And you heard me mention it's not just the temperature of the day you spray. It's before and it's after. And the reason why is because of that active growth. We want the plant very actively growing prior to when we spray. So I usually tell people, look, I want that temp nice and warm for a couple of days in advance, and I want it nice and warm for a couple of days afterwards too. So the the plant is growing well. You know everything is set. It'll bring a lot in. It'll move it quickly to the growing point over those next couple of days, and then you should be in good shape and you'll get a kill. 
So the next thing along with that is rate. What we will typically tell people is if the temperature is against you, and what I want is daytime temps in the 70s, nighttime temps in the 50s. So if it's 50 degrees Fahrenheit, that's, that's my bottom end cutoff. So what I'll tell people is, okay, if it's less than 50 Fahrenheit, then I want you to increase that roundup rate by 50%. And I know this may sound crazy, but believe me, that's what it takes. Darren and I have tracked glyphosate complaints for almost 30 years now. And when you go back to the day that people sprayed, you can look at the weather and you go, oh, I now I see why your stuff didn't work. <laughs> and it's always, almost always... They didn't increase the rate appropriately for the weather that they had. So what we're trying to tell you here is you've got two choices. Either you wait for that weather to get better and spray and spray your normal rate, or you say, look, I got to go. I got to get this done, but the temperature is against me. The, the, the weed isn't actively growing. We're just going to tell you, hey, just invest a little more money. The good thing is with glyphosate, it's not a lot more money we're talking about. How much more are you going to spend by increasing that rate by 50%? A couple bucks an acre? Well, that's a lot less than going to make another trip. And for a couple dollars an acre, now you can spray more when you want to as opposed to, oh, I got to wait and I, I'm just I'm going to run out of time and all that kind of stuff. So these are the important things. Oh, oh and along with that rate, discussion, I just say make sure that whatever rate you use, it's still a labeled rate. Okay, so don't please don't misunderstand. We're not telling you to use 10 gallons of Roundup per acre and do something that's off-label, okay? Here's the other thing. If you want the best control out there, you want good coverage, and you have to take a look at antagonism. So let's talk about both of those things. With the spray coverage, I realize that for years people have talked about, oh, we got to prevent Roundup drift, and so we want bigger droplets. I'm telling you this. If you do that, you're going to have worse coverage, and you're going to have worse control. It may not be a big deal. It may be 2% worse control, but in a very, very weedy field, my advice to you is pick a really good calm day where the weather's perfect, and that's when you spray that super weedy field. So that way you can use, let's call it a more medium-sized droplet, and you don't have to be so concerned. The other thing that a lot of people will do is they'll spray bigger droplets around the borders of the field, and then once they get out in the middle of the field, then they might switch spray nozzles, go to a little smaller droplet. You don't want to try to increase the coverage by bumping the water rate a lot, especially early in the season. We want to keep the droplets concentrated, so keep your water volume at 10 gallons or less in almost all cases with Roundup. And then finally, antagonism. Some things like 2,4-D or dicamba will shut the weed down before the Roundup can truly kill it. So you got to be careful about what you mix with Roundup. So we'll continue talking about spring Roundup applications and how to get the best results possible right after this. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. 
and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today, talking about Roundup applications early in the spring. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd. Had a couple of comments come in from Farm Boy who said, you guys are great. Been learning for years. It really helped our small operation. Hey, thanks, Farm Boy. Got this one from GS who said, love your videos, especially as we're beginning to farm. Hey, thanks for that as well. And, you know, when you're looking at the, a lot of the content we're putting out, whether you're a beginning farmer or somebody that's been doing it for a long time, a lot of these decisions you only get to make once a year. Like we're talking spring roundup applications today. So you may say, well, we're a new farmer. We don't know much on, on this or that yet. And we're trying to learn. But even guys that have been doing this for 30 or 40 years, it's kind of fun to have a reminder and bring up these discussions again, because you certainly aren't going to remember all the details on something that you just frankly haven't done for a whole year. Got our friend Nick Flights on right now with Pentair to talk about spring roundup applications. Nick, how you doing? I'm great today. Thanks for having me on. You know, when we're spraying Roundup, we're concerned about physical drift, and we've kind of seen a big shift in the industry to uh, drift control type nozzles, drip control additives that get put on. Talk to us about having success with with spring Roundup applications. I mean, I'm mainly thinking about burn down here, but I would assume in your neck of the woods, maybe there's some crops that are up. Nick, we're we're still waiting to get planting started up here. Yeah, in Kentucky, you know, it's, uh, we've gotten off the good spring start, and uh, the planters are rolling, uh, so it's uh, a fun time. But, yeah, talking about uh, these spring glyphosate applications, um, I like, you know, you brought up the drift control measures, a lot of additives and things that are being used, um, you know, with some of these herbicides these days. And I, I think it's good to revisit that for these applications. Uh, if you look at the target for a lot of our glyphosate applications, oftentimes they're primarily grass species uh, due to the common resistance issues we've seen with a lot of broadleaf species, right? 
Uh, and those grass species, they can be hard to target. It can be hard to get good coverage due to the, the narrow leaf blade, the vertical orientation. There's just not always a lot of leaf area there to hit. And so going with a, you know, an air induction, a dicamba-type nozzle, drift control adjuvants and that, um, you can get into some trouble there. And I think you want to be cautious not to focus too heavily on drift reduction. I always like to see some focus on drift reduction, especially this spring. It's been very, very windy. Uh, but I would kind of steer folks more toward away from the dicamba-type uh, application scenario and more focused on a, a, what I would call a mid-range droplet size. And that coarse, the very coarse, um, stay away from those ultra-coarse droplets like we've been using with dicamba if you can. If you're going to use a coarser nozzle like that, I'd like to see a little bit higher pressure uh, to help push that droplet size down. Uh, but that coarse to very coarse range gets you kind of really good balance of coverage and keeps uh, you know some of that drift down, gives you gives you some drift protection on windy or spraying days and um, you know also another thing is the application volume it's pretty common to run glyphosate applications at lower volumes there's a lot of research that shows the benefits of that higher concentration uh, for glyphosate applications so running that lower volume you know we're reducing our droplet number reducing the volume going out so that can be another challenge with coverage so you know, if you're going to use really coarse nozzles uh, in a low water volume, um, you know, you really want to try and run a little bit higher pressure or use some uh, non-ionic surfactants, some adjuvants to help with that coverage. Uh, otherwise, you might see less than adequate control. We're talking with Nick Flights here with Pentair. And, of course, Nick has been instrumental in the development of the Ag PhD Spray Tips Guide as you're you're looking at different tank mixes and different products you're going to be putting out this spring. I really encourage you to download that free app. It'll help you with what you need for pressure, like Nick was just talking about, getting your pressure right, getting your water volume right, and, and getting the perfect spray nozzle in every application. Nick, thank you so much. I really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, happy spraying, everybody. You bet. It is spray season once again. Uh, Getting Eric Prasco with us right now down at University of Georgia and well into the growing season in Georgia. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing very well. I guess we're, uh, you're probably mad at me. Uh, I've got B5 corn right now. So. <laughs> I'm not mad. Just a little jealous. Just a little jealous. But we'll get there in uh, another month or so, hopefully. But, uh, hey, yeah. talking about spring roundup applications, I- I'm guessing in Georgia a lot of the discussion ends up being, okay, yeah, we're going to put roundup up, but we're going to need X, Y, or Z for a, a tank mix partner. Well, what are the big challenges when you start thinking about putting roundup out there? Okay, so we do use quite a bit of Roundup in our in our what I would call the primary burn down material, but then we do a lot of tank mixing with other things, uh, either 2,4-D, maybe dicamba, and then we also put a residual in there, especially if we're several weeks weeks out from planting, to try to give us uh, some protection against pigweed emergence between the time the burn down goes out and when we actually get in the field. You know, as a farmer, you have good intentions, right? I'm going to get there on this day, but sometimes that doesn't happen. So having a residual in with our burn pre-plant burn down has been very helpful. And typically that's going to be for us, is that's going to be valor uh, in the pre-plant burn down to give us residual pigweed control 
uh, in between in that interval where we we could get some slip by because we already have pigweed up as you can probably imagine pigweeds well well capable of being up this time of year in our neck of the woods so we've got to be always on the lookout for keeping pigweed out of the field even even with our pre-plant burn down so all right eric so what you just mentioned creates a lot of challenges for roundup performance you talk about valor mm-hmm. which does have some burn on something like pigweed mm-hmm. dicamba 240 all of these can burn uh broadleaf weeds that are up so you've got roundup that kind of takes its time getting in and moving around how do you how do you balance those things when you got something that can burn but also you have roundup yeah. that you'd love to get in there well, I think you you got to do a couple of things. you got to know which weeds are there, right, because certain weeds will respond different ways. Use the right rate of Roundup. Uh, know what formulation that you're using. You, as you know, as a grower, there's about 10 million formulations of, of uh, glyphosate out there. Some have adjuvants in them. Some don't. So knowing whether or not you need uh, uh, to, to put an adjuvant in with the spray can be very helpful. Uh, knowing or not whether you have hard water, so the need for ammonium sulfate. So there's a lot of things that we can do to help the performance of glyphosate in those in those tank mixes. And at that time of the year, when we're doing those type of burn downs, we're really going after weeds. Again, our spectrum is going to be different than a lot of your viewers. Our biggest burn down weeds are wild radish, cutleaf even primrose, red sorrel, a few other uh, other broadleaf weeds, so and sometimes ryegrass is, is becoming a little bit more of a problem. A little bit of horseweed as well. So, you know, we're really targeting broadleaf weeds here, and then not so much grasses in the pre-plant burndown. Yeah, you mentioned some different species there, and uh, you threw in the ryegrass. This is one, too. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of guys doing cover crops and those types of things. Uh, what do you see? I, I know there have been some studies done on the height of the cover crop and just trying to get coverage down through that. Uh, what have you seen in, in our cover crops used in Georgia very widely? Yep, we, use, we tend to use a lot of cereal rye for cover crop uh, because that gives us a lot of biomass and so we want to try to get as much if we're going to do that. And we do mostly sh- strip till here, not no till. So we're, we're trying to get as much biomass as possible. And cereal rice seems to be very good down here. And that'll typically be allowed to grow up until it's got a seed head on it almost and then terminated and rolled and then strip tilled into. So that's that's typical for us. We, we plant some other things like tillage radish and maybe some weed or something like that. But the, the one that we're trying to get growers to, to plant is, is cereal rye because of the, the biomass. But we can handle that. We can That's easily controlled with glyphosate, so it's not a big deal. Yeah, the the rate you'd mentioned before, the rate is is a big deal and just understanding which formulation you've got of glyphosate to yeah. know. Do you need to add anything else into that mix? Hey, Eric, we got to run. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck here hey. the rest of the season. All right. Thank you very much talking about spring roundup applications and we're taking your calls and questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and water hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Get what you spray for. Results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Applying nitrogen in my planter is an important part of our system. It's efficient and puts nitrogen right in the root zone. Hi, Greg Souter. 360 tanks make on-planter nitrogen much easier. Those 700-gallon tanks keep the tractor balanced, distributing weight evenly over the axles, and they give me great visibility. Plus, with a narrow transport width, mailboxes are safe. Take a good look at 360 Yield Center tractor tanks and see how they help boost efficiency at planting time. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. We are talking about spring roundup applications on today's Ag PhD radio show, and we're taking your calls and questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Got our friend Jim Reese on with us right now with Precision Labs. And Jim, uh, I don't know if you heard Eric Prosco talking about this, but I thought, oh my goodness, he is teeing up Jim here saying, boy, the type of Roundup that you get, the formulation, it may have adjuvants, it may not. You may be using hard water. Boy, there's lots of problems here just to get Roundup to work. Jim, you got answers for us, so we're glad to have you on. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks for letting me share some time with you guys. Yeah, I thought it was a great way to uh, tee this whole conversation up because there's a lot of things to think about when you're getting ready to spray Roundup this season. Um, none of which, I mean, certainly your tank mix partner, right? Uh, Going to tank mix with glyphosate, you might want to think about tweaking that adjuvant a little bit. Um, a lot of tank mix partners for glyphosate would probably be do would probably do better with a, a high surfactant MSO as a tank mix partner. Um, maybe an MSO if your spring is looking like sharpen. Um, so you also have to think about 
water quality too, which you mentioned, right? So hard water and what you're going to use for a water conditioning agent. Um, might well now might not want to spray uh, glyphosate like you do dicamba, right? So dicamba, we think about spraying ultra coarse droplets. Maybe go to a slightly smaller droplet, maybe in that very coarse range for glyphosate, just so you get really good coverage and, and get a lot of drops on all those really small weeds. And um, might want to think about deposition aid too. I mean, there's a lot to think of, but if 20% of your applications blown off target. Um, and you can change that with the use of a deposition aid or or a drip retardant. Uh, puts a lot more stuff on the weeds you want to kill. Yeah, can make a big difference. And you know that's one of the challenges that we hear with with many different herbicides when when they get uh, weed resistance issues popping up. Sometimes it isn't necessarily resistance. It's just, well, we're not getting a lethal dose of that herbicide on the leaf. We may have sprayed it, but, but we aren't getting it where it needs to go. And, you know, the challenge here now, at least on our farm, is it's cold, Jim. It's really cold out there. We've got a few nights coming up that are, are going to be possibly below freezing, and that makes us quite nervous. So when we've got cold temperatures, stuff just doesn't work as well either. So there's there's a lot of challenges between wind and cold weather and, uh, yeah, and a bunch of other things there that you outlined with water quality and, and much more. Yeah, actually, you sound like a guy who doesn't have snow. You're just starting to think about it, right? <laughs> well, we've got rid of the snow except for in the tree belts, but that's no big deal. That that might that might disappear in another week or two, but uh, at least for right now, out in the fields, the fields are fields are open. So as soon as it dries out, we're ready to get out there. Well, you know, you made the comment about uh, cold weather, so it just m- means that you have to do everything right, right? So weather's always a challenge. Whether it's too hot and too dry. You know, things don't translocate well or too cold, things don't translocate well. So really not missing a single trick, you know, making sure we got the right nozzle size, uh, using a water conditioner, maybe even something with some ammonium ions to help that glyphosate move across the cell membrane, um, making sure we don't have too big a drop. It all adds up, but when the weather gets tough like this, um, you got to make sure you're doing everything right. Now, in some of the Roundup formulations, they have a surfactant in them. And, and I remember a number of years ago, uh, somebody from Monsanto at that time said they were using an anionic surfactant. What do you like to add with some of these Roundup formulations? And are these potassium salt formulations or the six-pound material, are they needing a different type of surfactant than the other Roundups? I don't think so. There's, you know, actually, uh, there's, pretty good range of surfactants still used in glyphosate formulations. The trick is, you know, what's considered to be loaded or not loaded. Um, I think that's where it gets, uh, there is a, almost a contest to reduce costs, right? So when you try to reduce costs, you end up putting less surfactant in those, in those finished formulations. But um, just a good high quality surfactant will help. I usually don't worry about it as much if it's the product's loaded if I'm spraying under 10 gallons of water per acre because I've got enough con- glyphosate concentration in there. Even with a low load, uh, low surfactant load from the glyphosate, I've got enough product in there that's going to probably do everything I need it to do in terms of spreading wet across the leaf surface. I really get more nervous about when I start throwing tank mix partners in with my glyphosate and then my do I have the right adjuvancy for those? You know, so for example, even if I have a loaded glyphosate, but I've got a tank mix partner that really likes oils, um, you know, it doesn't matter how much surfactant I've got in that formulation if I can't have add an oil component like a high surfactant oil concentrate or something like an MSO for sharpen, right? 
So lots to think about, especially on the tank mix partner side. I don't know that we're spraying just that much straight Roundup anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Well, that's a great point. There isn't a whole lot of straight Roundup getting sprayed compared to what there used to be. And now when we're mixing all these things, uh, we're talking with Jim Reese here with Precision Labs. One of the handy tools has been Precision Labs Mix Tank app. Again, a free download for your smartphone to show you which order to put these things in so everything stays mixed in the tank. And of course, we love Convert from Precision Labs as a uh, tank compatibility agent when you're doing all those mixes it's been made clean out so much easier in our sprayer as well hey jim thank you so much we're we're going to need you later this season so hopefully we can call you again soon i would look forward to it thanks a lot you bet uh got mark louts on right now with uh, ohio state university how you doing mark i'm doing good thanks uh, thinking about Roundup applications in the spring, and Jim just made a comment there. He said, I don't know if there's a whole lot of Roundup going out straight anymore with resistant weeds and everything else. Uh, what's some of the advice you're giving to, to growers to get the best results with their spring Roundup applications? Yeah, there's almost none. I would say, I mean, it's going with residuals. It's going with 2,4-D. Straight Roundup doesn't work for us unless there's probably situations where, you, you know, ideally if you're going after cover crop rye or have to kill wheat or something like that, that's one case where, you know, you'd like to have it alone. If if you can do that, ideally you start throwing things like metribuzin in with it, and I think it starts to uh, reduce the activity. Um, Sharpen actually helps it a little bit, believe it or not, even though it has no grass activity, which is really weird, I think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, making sure you're you know, bumping rates. Ammonium sulfate is typically... If you, if you look at all the research, ammonium sulfate works as good or better than any of the substitutes. I know why people use substitutes. They're more convenient or for whatever reason. So I think you're look, trying to look for one that works as well as ammonium sulfate does. I think he hit on some things. If you're using Sharpen, you, know, you need some MSO the rest of the time. Um, Surfactant-wise, I, I think there's a little bit of an unknown in some formulations. And I think one of the points he made was good, which is like companies that formulate are always looking for a cheaper way to do it. And so they do vary their some of those components. So my advice over years has been, you want to throw an eighth or a quarter percent of some good surfactant in, then go ahead uh, okay. and do it, I think. Um, so you're trying to optimize all that and, and miss. The, the challenge is cold weather, which we're not in right now. And I think you want to try to stay away from nights when we're getting frost and freezing and try to keep it, you know, lights that are getting down to 40, which is easier here in Ohio than where you are. <laughs> I think, right? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Well, hey, one, one condition that can happen anywhere is dry. You could get into a hot, dry spell, and I know a number of our listeners today are in one of those areas where, man, it's it's just dry and humidity is low. That humidity has really been an interesting factor, I know, with Liberty. How about with Roundup? When we've got real low humidity levels, uh, what what do you do different? You... um. I, you spray small under those conditions because our, our experience here under uh, extended dry conditions is you still maintain relatively decent activity when everything's else when everything's small and as you get into bigger droughts, just rate weeds, um, you know you have more issues. I think your tank mix partner is important there. Like you know you you need help from two four D or you need help from sharpen or whatever in those situations that's where you're most likely to have roundup i think not do as glyphosate not do as well that may be where you say okay i'm throwing in the additional surfactant right right in that case um and then you know optimizing anything else you can i would say low volume again you know in really arid sort of conditions spraying in a low volume with smaller droplets they're going to evaporate faster 
which could be a, a which I suppose could counteract the you know the better performance you get from lower volumes, you know, and that type of thing. But that's something to consider. You got uh, droplets drying on leaves faster, so maybe a slightly larger droplet is better. It's kind of counterintuitive, but that's possible. Yeah, you just have to think about all those changing conditions you're going to run into through the growing season. Got Mark Laux with us right now with Ohio State talking about Roundup. Mark, thank you so much. Good luck to you heading into the spring as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Last year's fertilizer cost too much. This year's fertilizer still costs too much. So maybe next year, uh-huh, maybe next year, instead of paying whatever the market dictates, you should find a new source. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the crop nutrients that are already in your soil so you can use less fertilizer and capture the yield you count on to turn a profit. I said to turn a profit. That's more like it. Learn more at sound.ag. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today just talking about spring roundup applications. But here's the thing. You know that you have roundup-resistant weeds. You're probably looking for alternatives to roundup. Let's talk about that real quick. 
The two most common things that I will usually talk to farmers about in terms of replacing Roundup in the burndown application, they are Gramoxone and Liberty. Now they both have drawbacks, so let's talk about them a little bit. Gramoxone is just as dangerous as the gasoline you pump in your car every day. So maybe not on the flammability side. Um, I am sorry. Let me rephrase that. To humans, human safety is what I'm talking about. Sorry. Uh, so they actually add an uh, an odorant to it, so you can smell it, um, because you want to stay away from it. Uh, I don't like the safety factor with cremoxone, and that's also why the EPA has put more restrictions on it. you got to have a closed handling system and that kind of thing, special training. So I don't love Gramoxone, but that active ingredient, Paraquat, has been used for decades, and it is a fantastic burndown product. But it needs great spray coverage, and it does better when you have sunlight. And I know it may seem a little bit weird, but we have a few products like that where if it's just sunny outside, um, that's going to help. Now, granted, if it's hot, just like with Roundup, it will be better. So ideally, what I'd like is heat and sun, but at least get sun and have good coverage. You're going to have to throw some crop oil with it. And then usually that can fill in for Roundup if you want to just take the Roundup out, put the Gramoxone in. You should get a good burn down on those Roundup resistant weeds. Now, the other product we talk about quite often is Liberty. If Liberty cost the same money as Roundup, um, I don't think I'd have a whole lot of issues with the farmers I work with to get almost all of them to switch from Roundup over to Liberty because the Liberty kills the Roundup resistant weeds. Now, granted, you have to have better spray coverage with Liberty. So, what a lot of agronomists will talk to you about is you got to have more water when you're spraying Liberty. Okay, I get that if everything is big. If you're in a burndown situation, and like where we're at, the, I mean, there aren't even any weeds out in the field yet. It's so darn cold. So when we're spraying burndown, a lot of times the weeds are one inch tall, maybe two inches. I mean, if we're at it relatively early in the season, here's my point. You don't need 20 gallons per acre when you've got scattered weeds throughout the field and they're an inch tall. We want to have more concentrated droplets, just like we do with Roundup all the time. But I'm just trying to say, you don't necessarily have to go to 20 gallons with Liberty to get this great spray coverage. You might just want to go to a little smaller droplet. And you're going to get pretty good spray coverage when you don't have any type of crop canopy out there at all. Okay, so you have to use your head a little bit on when you're spraying it and where you're spraying it and that kind of thing. The Liberty price has been coming down. It's going to come down in our estimation. We don't know for sure, but in our estimation for 2024, it's going to come down even more. But if someday that Liberty price gets down where the Roundup price is, um, I just think you're going to see an absolute explosion of Liberty use because, let's face it, most of the soybeans in the United States are Liberty tolerant. There's a good portion of the corn that's Liberty tolerant. Liberty could be used as a burn down in advance of planting. It could be used as a post-harvest burn down. It has so many uses out there, and at this point, we're seeing virtually no resistant weeds with Liberty. Okay. Now, here's one other thing that I wanted to mention because I heard this product talked about through the show today as we had these guests on. Sharpen. 
Sharpen is a PPO. It is a good burn down herbicide, and a lot of people do throw it in with Roundup. We love it. Absolutely love it in front of corn, in front of wheat. We're going to spray it on our farm in front of oats here in the next few days. So it's a great product, and it is amazing on most broadleaf weeds. Not only does it have burn down, it has some pretty good residual, at least when you use the two-ounce rate. Here's the problem. If you're thinking of using it in front of soybeans, then basically if it's right in front of soybeans, you can't use Sharpen if you're using any other PPO. Okay, so we talk all the time here about the three pre's in front of soybeans, and that includes either Authority or Valor. Those are PPOs. Same chemical family as Sharpen. If you put Sharpen together with Authority or Valor at the right rates, you're going to kill your soybeans. So we don't want that. We don't want even any injury on our beans. So I will just tell you, like in our region of the country, nobody's doing burn down a month in front of soybean planting. I mean, that is just, we there, there's no, I mean, the snow's out there a month before soybean planting in a lot of cases. So <laughs> there's no need for any burn down. If you were doing it a month in advance, okay, you can do just about whatever you want. But what I'm talking about here is burn down right around planting within a few days before or after planting your soybeans, and you cannot mix Sharpen together with Valor or Authority at the normal Valor and Authority rates that we're talking about, or you just have an overload of PPO. So be really careful about where you're using Sharpen. Again, in front of corn, wheat, oats, I don't have any issue at all. But you just, I, I just quite frankly don't recommend it around here in front of soybeans because almost everybody's using Valor Authority. And Valor Authority, they do have some burn down, just not as good as what Sharpen is. So a lot of times guys will ask us, okay, what are you doing for burn down when you got this three pre program? All right, well, if it's no till, then obviously Prowl doesn't burn down anything, but Metribuzin does. And so does Valor or Authority. So if you have Metribuzin together with a Valor or Authority, you're going to have good burn down. You're just not going to have great burn down. So that's where a lot of people are throwing Roundup with it. But if, if they're still not getting all the weeds, then instead of throwing Roundup with it, they'll put Germoxone or Liberty, and then we got it. All right. I think that's, uh, well, I mean... I can continue talking all day about burndown applications, Darren. Did right. you have anything to add? Did you have anything else you wanted to, to hit with this burndown or a spring roundup applications? Is there anything else that stands out to you? No. We can just dive right into the egg. Oh, well, wait, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, we can. But uh, can I get to all those questions in the last segment of the show? Uh, it's doubtful, Brian. You're okay. pretty long-winded. All right. Well, good point. Okay. Let's hit it. It's the mailbag. All right. Uh, first of all, uh, this one could take the rest of the show right here if you wanted it to. This comes from well, David. We have two and a half minutes for this segment. So he go ahead. said, how does fungicide affect the good fungus in the soil? I use fungicides regularly, but I've always been worried about, am I doing anything detrimental to my soil? I seriously doubt it. Most of the fungicides that we're talking about are very short-lived. They, at at best, they're going to last three weeks inside the plant. So to think that you're going to have long-lasting soil life, no way. Uh, now, it's possible, but here's the thing. A lot of these fungicides are very specific, so they'll only kill certain fungal species. And you know that because you don't even kill all the diseases that you would like these these fungicides to control. So no, I'm not super worried about those things. And 
the the big thing is this is all going to come out in the wash over time. Fungicides have been used for decades now. If let's say people who are regularly using fungicide were doing damage to their soil, well, then their crop yields would be going down. But that's not at all what we're seeing. So I, I'm really not that worried about it. But I would say we are adding some beneficial fungal strains to seed and to to crops, to plants. I mean, there are a lot of beneficial microbes that are now getting used. We call them either biological products or natural products. So you just want to talk to the provider of that and make sure they've tested with whatever fungicide you may be using on your farm. For example, we work with a company out on the West Coast that does a lot of testing for us because, I mean, we're constantly evaluating all these different things here at Ag PhD with our research team. And a lot of the seed treatments, they don't they don't have any negative impact on the beneficial microbes we're putting on seed or on the plants. So I feel really good, number one, that I didn't waste my money on those biologicals or naturals. And number two, that also gives me great hope that we are not doing really any damage to the beneficial things that are already sitting there in our soil. Hey, I didn't take the rest of the show, Darren. Not too bad. We'll get to more <laughs> Ag PhD mailbag questions and also take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Back with multi-year proven results, Torque drives performance. Unique to other biologicals, Torque can be applied with other chemistries. Use in-furrow or side dress to increase mycorrhizal associations, enhancing root development. Learn more about Torque at thinkbiological.com or contact your local retailer and ask for Torque today. Novozymes BioAg. Think Biological. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. 
Preview 2.1 SC herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Head over to your local CNB to get yourself a new John Deere planter or schedule inspections to make sure your equipment is as ready for spring as you are. Visit CNB Operations online at DeerEquipment.com. That's D-W-E-R-Equipment.com. Morton buildings are made to last for generations. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, we are committed to quality. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Just got an email in from Kevin over in Wisconsin, and, and Kevin had a question yesterday about white mold control in soybeans and was wondering about manganese sulfate as uh a potential control method. He said, I appreciate you guys addressing my question yesterday. So we did send in soil samples requesting a Malik 3 test for manganese. Uh, and I was sent this picture. We were thinking of applying 100 pounds of manganese sulfate per acre. Uh, this has a second guessing that. We'd be broadcasting. Well, this, and the reason why, the supplier right on their recommendation says don't use more than 32 pounds of manganese sulfate per acre, which would give you 10 pounds of manganese. Um, we have done higher rates. We have done 100 pounds of manganese sulfate before. We haven't seen any detrimental impact. I would talk to the supplier on why they're recommending that in your area or why they're saying, hey, don't go over 32 pounds. But let's put it this way. We we don't want you doing, and what we said yesterday was, we don't want you doing 100 pounds and a whole bunch Anyway, I mean, try try the really high rate at a, on a small scale because that's a lot of dollars you're spending, and I don't know if you're going to get enough return on that. So I would try some some at 100, some at 50, some at the 32 that they're talking about, and then some untreated, and just see are you seeing any difference in white mold and in yield. That's the other side of it. And he, he did say in his email there he's going to send in the Malik test. So because uh, what we had brought up is we don't really know if you need this manganese or not. Oh, the other thing that they said that, that the supplier said is that they wanted at least 50 pounds of ammonium sulfate per acre for improved results along with the manganese sulfate. And he's wanting to know why. Well, I don't I don't know exactly why. I, I mean... I, I'm I'm not real sure why why you would want or need ammonium sulfate with it. I'm gonna, going to assume because they've tried that before. They've seen where some people have had some success. What would be the chemistry reason why? I don't know exactly. So we'll actually reach out to that supplier and see if we can learn something there. I'm, I'm not real sure. Darren, do you have any ideas why they would say we want ammonium sulfate together with the manganese sulfate? No. Yeah, it's more self. So it's other, basically other than this, I, I would say this: uh, we have seen better availability of manganese at lower soil pHs. Ooh, good like thought. When yep. we get that pH down, it definitely helps, and that could be something right there. Yep. 
Yep, yep, you're probably right. I'll, I'll, yep, I'll bet you that's it. Yeah, good thinking. But elemental sulfur could do even more. But maybe you need the nitrogen too, who knows. Uh, thanks for the question, Kevin. We do appreciate that. And, yeah, that white mold is a big concern in soybeans, no doubt about it. All right, uh, get this one in from Ian. And he said, I'm reaching out uh, due to a comment made on last week's Ag PhD radio show talking about gibberellic acid, and you mentioned it could even be used in grass and turf and would accelerate growth. I'm looking for what rates you guys have used. Any other details you could share? Uh, Three-tenths of an ounce up to an ounce of the product we've been using, uh, Rise Up Smart Grass. Three-tenths of an ounce up to one ounce. So uh, this year on our silage corn, we're going to use a half an ounce. Yeah, and you can play around with that. Try a couple of different rates. It's uh, as long as you're staying on label, it's not going to hurt the grass or hurt the crop. So right. that that's something where maybe you try. Okay, let's try this, and then let's make two passes over it. Try a half rate, and then try two passes over it, and try a full rate. Karen, there aren't a lot of people are. that want to make two passes over anything. I know, so. but you're trying something new, Brian. You only have to do <laughs> that know. one or two years, and you kind of figure something out here. So. Uh, anyway, I, that's what I would do. Just try a couple different rates and see see yep. what you think. Yep. But yeah, it, it definitely makes a difference. You'll notice it very soon. Like in the first week or two, you're gonna say, "Whoa, I did something there." So you'll you'll learn a lot. And you know, if it warms up, great. Your plants will start to catch up and produce their own gibberellic acid. But if it stays cooler, then you should see a massive advantage there. Okay, I get this one from AD, uh, who says. I'm not sure if I completely understand this. My corn is not going up. What should we do? We were talking about nitrogen in corn. If corn is not growing quickly early in the season, oftentimes it's because it's cool. The other thing you could do is just do some digging out in your field and just see, okay, what do my seeds look like? What do my uh, root systems look like? If you put too much fertilizer too close to the roots, Oftentimes you could burn roots off and that could definitely impact your emergence. Or if you get insect issues out there, we've seen a lot of insect issues lately, especially in no-till, reduced till, and areas that have cover crops, there's even more bugs than normal. Or depending on your crop rotation too, coming out of certain crops, you're going to see more insect pressure. If you've got something that's feeding on your seeds, that could definitely impact emergence as well. I guess what we're after is we just need some more information. Send us some pictures, a little more description, we don't quite understand what you're asking. Okay. Uh, this one comes in from Hasib, who's over in Pakistan, and, and he said, we've got a specific issue We get a here. lot of foreign questions, don't we, Darren? Yeah. Well, and I'm surprised at some, in the, even in the Middle East. Well, so. when, when we do travel around the world, one thing that we've consistently heard is, you know what? Uh, we're very jealous of your extension system, your university system, and just how much information there is that-, that True. Uh, Honestly, we take for granted in the United States that yep. almost any problem that we look up, there's been studies that have been done in different states by different groups, even private groups, uh, and it's pretty awesome. The Internet is a great way for farmers in other countries and even in our country to well, find Well, when out you have a free market economy, too, there's just such tremendous incentive for people to learn more, do better, everything else. Uh, not that you can't or not that those things don't happen in other other countries and with other government systems but yeah in a lot of cases there are there are many that are leading the way in free market economies throughout the world so yeah we're, we just feel super blessed but anyway go ahead okay what, what's so Hasib question? said my my issue i have is sugarcane whip smut 
So basically smut and sugar gain. Said, uh, I, I've got issues there, and as the temperature and moisture situations go up and down, it can be a big thing. So what can I do to counteract sugar cane whip smut? So I did a little bit of research on this since we don't grow sugar cane on our farm. We don't have the right climate for that. <laughs> We're a little uh, cold. But, but we have been in sugar cane fields, and we do work with growers that, that raise sugar cane and so forth. So uh, it's just kind of interesting to, to compare some notes and see what's going on. And I found some, some pretty interesting information and research that was done down in Australia. So first of all, there are resistant varieties out there. The challenge with resistant varieties, just like we see in wheat and other crops, is if you keep planting the same variety with that same source of resistance, eventually the smut overcomes it and figures out a way around that. So plant resistant varieties, rotate the varieties that you're planting. That is your number one best way to reduce the incidence of sugarcane whip smut. Now, the other things that you can do. Uh, when you are most so for for anyone listening who who hasn't been around sugarcane, they actually plant chunks of the stem. So maybe it'll be six inch to twelve inch chunks of stem. Uh, they have buds in them, and they'll plant those chunks of stem in the furrow, and then the the sugarcane will rise up from that. So they call those sets or seed. Uh, but the sets can be treated ahead of time. So what they've found is putting in the sets in hot water. 52 degrees Celsius for 30 minutes gives 98% control on sugarcane whip smut. Well, that's a big deal. And hot water doesn't cost much. So if you can do some hot water treatment of those sets, that would help a lot. And then take those sets and dip them in a fungicide bath. And what they found is as they, they put the hot water treatment on those sets, it does open those buds up a little bit to being more susceptible for soil infection with smut. So if you dip them in fungicides, uh, products like propiconazole, triademophon, triademinol, those types of fungicide treatments can further reduce your risk of soil infection of those buds. And then finally, if you do see infection out in your field, remove and burn the infected plants to eliminate the mycelium or the fungus uh, so you don't have it because that fungus survives in living plant material. So if you remove the living plant material that it's on, you can get rid of it. And, and just keep in mind, you can see infection through the buds either above or below ground and, and up to 30 to 100% yield loss. So this is a big issue. I see what you're talking about, Hasib, and that's very concerning. So look for resistant varieties. Put those sets in hot water treatment for 30 minutes and then treat them with fungicide uh, and then remove and burn any infected plants to try to stay ahead of sugarcane whip smut. Yeah, it sounds like a nasty, nasty disease to have to fight. Well, thanks for the questions. We really appreciate those. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.